Hello and welcome to Extra Healthy Debates. I'm Anna Beryl, editor of Healthy Magazine, and today, for World Mental Health Day on 10th of October, we're talking anxiety. To help us understand this and paying particular attention to anxiety in the workplace, joining us by Skype is Anna Williamson, counsellor, life coach, and an experienced broadcaster and host of Talk Radio's Saturday Night Show, later with Anna Williamson. Behind closed doors, she battled with generalised anxiety disorder, which culminated in a panic attack behind the scenes of a live TV show, and she shares her story. Also joining me today is Dr. Sherry Jacobson, the Clinical Director of Harley Therapy, a psychotherapy and counselling clinic in London. A retired senior therapist with the British Association for Counselling and Psychotherapy, Sherry has also worked for Mind, Mencap and the NHS, to name a few. So here's Anna, Sherry and I. So welcome to the Healthy Podcast, Anna and Sherry. Thanks so much for joining me today. Um, So for Mental Health Awareness Week, we're talking about anxiety, which the NHS describes as having feelings of unease, such as worry or fear, that can be mild or severe and affect daily life. And a 2013 survey recorded 8.3 million cases of anxiety in the UK, which is staggering, especially given that that was five years ago. So Anna, just to get us started, you're a, a successful TV presenter and broadcaster, amongst other things. And on set, you're looking like a happy, chirpy person, but behind the scenes, all was not well, and you suffered a panic attack. Can you talk us through that moment a little bit? Yes, absolutely. Um, And I've been, uh, I was diagnosed with generalised anxiety disorder over 10 years ago. And I, um, it, it hit me out of the blue. And I wasn't sure what this feeling that I was very physically experiencing actually was. Um, Panic attacks for me, I was also diagnosed at the same time with panic disorder. When I say I was diagnosed, it took me about six to eight months to actually get the help I needed because I, I didn't actually know that what I was feeling was 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 something real, so to speak. Um, so a panic attack for me was I just felt almost like the definition you just gave of anxiety. It was this constant worry and this constant feeling of dread that I was experiencing um, day to day. And it was getting worse and worse. And normal decisions in my life were suddenly creating a huge anxiety response and that what was going on in my life was I was very stressed I was in a in a stressful job in a stressful relationship and essentially my mind and my body couldn't really cope anymore so panic attacks for me were very much what we talk about with the fight and flight um, response which is uh, I would just have this absolute shock of um, of chest sort of how I describe it was a hot poker going into my chest and I wouldn't be able to breathe properly. I would feel very dizzy. Um, I would feel very much like I imagine a rabbit in headlights feels. And this was becoming daily, hourly, and and almost felt like it was minutely. So um, panic attacks can feel extremely upsetting and extremely scary. But the important thing to remember is that actually we will get over a panic attack. And and I think to date, nobody has ever actually died from just having a panic attack. So when did you seek help? What led to that point? Um, Unfortunately for me, I I had... I affectionately call it in my book Breaking Mad Meltdown Day Um, and it was months and months and months of what I would say 
trying to cope and functioning loosely. And essentially, imagine like a, a petrol tank was beeping on empty for an awfully long time and eventually it just went and crashed. Um, and it was at that point that I realised I couldn't suffer and try and struggle on in silence any longer I had to ask for help so um, for me it was a very um, exposing breakdown at work I burst into tears I was exhausted I hadn't been sleeping properly for weeks and months and this constant worry and constant feeling of dread was just was just too much to have to cope with and fortunately the best thing I ever did even though at the time it felt very embarrassing although it shouldn't um, was ask for help and I said I need some help and you know what when you ask for help it's pretty much always there and and who did you turn to where were you seeking that help well I first of all told a colleague of mine a colleague of mine very kindly recognized in me something that she could obviously tell that from her own experiences um, you know were, were causing an alarm bell in her and she asked me if I was okay and in that moment at that time I clearly trusted her enough to tell her that no I wasn't okay and that these weird and horrible feelings I was thinking in my head and that I was feeling in my body I was terrified I was genuinely really quite sick as in I really thought I was very sick in the, in the mind and actually I wasn't really I was just extra, something that's extremely common actually um, and when I went off work I was I went straight to my GP and I went with my mum and I, and there is no shame I was a in my mid-twenties a BAFTA nominated children's presenter and I wanted my mummy and I went to the GP and he was uh, he was great and referred me to a consultant psychiatrist who specialised in anxiety disorders and from that moment on it was just a complete turning point and having that mixture of short-term medication to help me actually get some rest and help me rebuild myself and my strength and then the most important part was the talking therapy um, gradually Gradually, I, I worked myself up from that bottom. And there must have been a huge sense of relief. Enormous. And actually, a lot of people talk about that label. And, I, I, and, and some people don't like it and some people do. For me, actually being told that what I was feeling and thinking was actually a thing and was something that lots and lots of people, millions of people in the world also experienced, actually made me feel a lot better and it was a huge relief because when I was caught in the grips of that anxiety disorder, thinking I was the only person in the world that was feeling like this, genuinely feeling like, do I need to be actually in a mental hospital somewhere? It was actually really, really cathartic and encouraging um, and reassuring to know that actually what I was feeling and experiencing was actually very normal and very treatable. And also that loads of people are going through it as well. You're not alone. That's the most important thing with mental health. It can be such a lonely place to be. And everybody, the more and more that my work has continued over the last 10 years, it's why I've written books about it. It's why I do radio shows and podcasts about it. It's to let people know that you're not alone. And when you are in those thoughts, I mean, I still have recurring bouts now. It can feel like the most isolating time. But I know from my own experience, not just from preaching it and prattling it, but I know from my own experience that when you have the bravery to actually tell somebody how you're feeling that whole adage a problem shared is a problem halved in my case I think there's an awful lot of truth in that yeah definitely and Sherry could you talk us a little bit um, through the symptoms of a panic attack and other anxiety disorders sure um, well as Anna was describing it it's, it's really very very individual but but generally a sense of kind of overwhelm of 
um, physiological symptoms such as sweating, heart racing. It's very, it's a very kind of visceral, visceral feeling, um, accompanied with traits maybe such as loss of appetite, loss of ability to concentrate, um, and, and loss of sort of sense of, of joy in uh, certainly in a, in a long-term basis of, of sort of like an inclination to want to do anything um, anything else. So you're kind of stuck in that moment, kind of paralysis, but a, a, a great sense of sort of overwhelm. And it can, it can feel almost as if you're going to die. So a lot of clients that I've worked with have experienced and expressed that it is like near, near death, that they feel that they might have a heart attack, that they might collapse and not, and not wake up. Yeah. And the anxiety spectrum kind of consumes us all from time to time. But the difficult part, I guess, is knowing when this becomes a problem and should be looked at by a professional. How do we how do we tell? So I always talk about developing our own internal barometer so that we know where on the anxiety spectrum we normally lie. Some people have a lot more anxiety on a day-to-day basis that they can contend with and, and cope with, and others are a bit more sensitive to it. So kind of figuring out where your baseline is and then on a regular, uh, just regularly checking in with yourself of how stressed or how anxious am I feeling. Um, some, you know, sometimes a panic attack often comes comes up upon you very unexpectedly. So, so you don't often get a warning. warning Correct. But okay. but once you've had that first panic, generally speaking, you can get to sort of understand some of the warning signs and some of the potential triggers so that you can watch a little bit more closely. And it's just really about being in tune with your body and, and listening to symptoms, um, signs, feelings of, of discomfort, um, and the, the small things such as maybe, you know, loss of libido, changes in appetite, um, not wanting to socialize as much. Some of those are precursors to anxiety or accompanying with it. And really just getting a kind of a, taking your temperature on a regular basis to know where where, where exactly you stand. And how do you break that cycle if you have those feelings and they're going round and round in your head? What do you do? I also think this is a really personal question and it's something that everyone has to go through and develop a, a sort of a set of tools and strategies that work well for them. And that can actually take a bit of practice and refinement over time. Um, you know, seeing a therapist, as Anna said, it's, it's a wonderful way to really get to know some of those tools as well as hear your own voice, unpick some of the issues and and work on it on a sort of concentrated level. But there are things that you can do even before seeking professional help if you feel that you're not quite ready to go and 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 and, and look look for professional support. And that is things like self-help books, mm-hmm. podcasts, and then very straightforward techniques such as mindfulness, yeah. breathing, relaxation exercises. It's really ironic how kind of we're returning back to basics, as exactly. simple as breathing. And it's so important not to underestimate doing those things and doing them regularly as well. So how many people in the UK is anxiety affecting? Well, I mean, the, the, the general stat is that one in four people suffer from some, some, some sort of mental health condition. I always put that number out of four out of four. And I mm. do feel that the majority of people will experience episodes of anxiety at some point in their life. So I think it's really high. Um, and I also think that it's, um, it, it's something that can be 
lived with, not necessarily yeah. you have to cure it. Um, so also, um, Sherry, it's been reported that women are twice as likely to experience anxiety as men. Why do you think that is? I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not entirely sure about that because in my clinical practice, the ratio of patients who are bringing anxiety issues were more or less 50-50. Okay. Um, and it's, it's often, I wonder if it's a question of reporting, yeah. actually, um, because the men who did come as clients did disclose that it was quite difficult for them to consider coming to therapy um, because they thought that they should, and the expression was just man up and get over it and not really consider it an, an issue. So I do, I do wonder about that stat. Yeah. And um, Anna, with anxiety and depression cases rising, do you think we are becoming more stressed, depressed and anxious, or are we just more aware of mental health conditions now? I think it's a real combination of the two, actually. I think as uh, I often get asked to talk about this sort of with my with my life coach hat on, and I think life in general um, has has posed a lot more um, variables for so many people. Um, a lot of us are working parents, or we are juggling several jobs um, at the same time as trying to perhaps incorporate some sort of a social life. Um, we are worrying about finances and. So Social media is an awful, um, is, a, is a huge part of our lives now as well. And social media is a, a brilliant thing and the internet is, is fantastic, but it is proven as well, or, you know, people are, are really aware now that spending too much time online can be really, really bad for, for our mental health. Um, too much time perhaps measuring ourselves against other people, comparing ourselves against what other people are doing. Are we doing enough in life? What am I doing? Taking up too much time and perhaps not putting as much focus on one's own well-being and one's own hobbies, likes, dislikes and re rest and relaxation time. So I think there's a real combination with um, with life is, is perhaps more stressful. Um, but also the fact that we're talking about things a lot more. Um, I do believe that because we are now perhaps better able to identify some of these mental health issues, that is where we're also seeing an increase. And one of the topics I really wanted to talk to you both about was um, mental health in the workplace, because it's such an important topic and one that is so widely discussed at the moment. Um, according to MIND, around 15% of people at work have symptoms of an existing mental health condition, with four out of five employees with poor mental health citing workplace pressures. So firstly, Anna, your anxiety manifested in the workplace. How much of a role did your job play um, in your anxiety developing? Um, a huge, a huge part, actually. But importantly, it was a combination, actually, of my work stress and the relationship stress. So let's be honest, in life, we spend most of our time either at work or at home. So when you've got both crashing together um, that are not actually serving you well, then you've got a bit of a problem. Um, work was stressful, but actually it was stressful because I had made it stressful. I mean, there is no doubt that working as a, as a kids TV presenter when there's a lot of pressures and time constraints on you in a studio environment, that was absolutely to, to a, a cause of it. But it was more about the way that I was dealing with it. I was a classic people pleaser. I, I put too much pressure on myself to be the best. If I was the best, I'd want to be even better than that. So I measured myself weirdly against my own success. It was almost like that wasn't enough for me. So I strive to be better and better. I also wasn't very good at communicating with certain strong members of my team that perhaps I felt a little... Um, 
uh, you know, I, I, that didn't sort of work necessarily with how I like to be. I, I like to be a little bit more, um, take time to think about things, not not sort of pile on in. So there was a lot of errors that I had been, without me knowing, making at work, uh, but which were largely brought on by myself. So yeah, work play- had a huge part to play with it because obviously I was going into work and that is where the anxiety would then completely manifest. And was having to portray a certain um, exterior when you were on TV and then having these kind of completely different thoughts inside, that must have been unbelievably hard to maintain. Oh, it's horrible because you feel like you're just living a lie. Um, because on the, you know, the mask that we put on, you know, or I put on, but I know that many people feel the same way, you know, this smiley, happy, yes, everything is fine. We're actually underneath it all at the time. Everything wasn't fine. I was lying to myself. Inside, I was, cr- I was slowly shriveling up and dying and just overwrought with anxiety. And yet on the outside, I was trying to live up to this expectation of being... Um, you know, a, a, a national TV presenter. And I think that that all that does is just put even more stress on somebody. And then what does that stress create? Even more anxiety. Yeah. So have you had to accept that this might be something you'll struggle with forever? No, not at all. I, I'm, I'm not a believer in cure. I'm a believer in management um, when it comes particularly to mental health um, issues. I always say the best thing that ever happened to me was was actually having my meltdown day. The best thing that ever happened to me um, was, was being diagnosed with having a mental health condition um, because, and people go, that's an odd thing to say, and I say it's because it taught me how I could actually improve my life and actually live my life for the, for the better. And I learned to view things in a different way. I learned to stop um, stop trying to do too much. I learned an awful lot about me and what my triggers were and the kind of person that I was that actually moving forwards and with the help of therapy as well, I became a much happier, well-rounded person that knows my limits, knows what works for me. I say knows my limits, I don't really think I have any, but I know what works for me and what doesn't. And, and I, can, I can spot them now. I know that if I get too tired or if I take on too much, um, I feel those flutterings of anxiety perhaps starting to creep in so I know what to do I take a pause I take a step back and I and I sort myself back out again and I think that's the key I know I'm not very good on no sleep so and I know I'm not very good if I've if I've drunk too much alcohol so it's just knowing these things it might not it might not work for anybody else and it might not be the popular decision sometimes but it's what works for me and I think that is why I believe in managing a mental health condition not, not necessarily curing it because I think when you start placing the word cure on something there you've got that pressure to never have a relapse and I don't think that's a practical or sensible way of viewing it in this day and age because stuff happens in life you know work stuff happens family stuff happens ups and downs and I think it's just sensible to see it as your mental health like your physical health it's something that we constantly manage and maintain. Exactly. And Sherry, just thinking particularly um, about the workplace, what's, what's your advice for creating that comfortable space to allow us to make sure that our experience isn't dominated by stress? Well, I think empathy, empathy is a really important part of it. So having an understanding of kind of where other people might be and that it may not be kind of in the same kind of emotional spot that, that you are. So often putting yourselves doing something as simple as putting yourselves in someone else's shoes when they have a flare up or um, um, if if they're they're speaking curtly to you, 
not necessarily sort of reacting, but being able to kind of uh, gain a bit more, bit more understanding and that it might be something else that's bothering them. And then to ask the question, are you okay? And if you get the standard response of everything is fine, maybe to ask again, yeah. are you really okay? And sometimes it's just a simple, um, a matter of reaching out with care, with genuine care to check in on, on each other because you are a community at work and everyone's kind of collaborating, working to the same goal. And really having having sound mental health is a key part of being able to play a good role as an, as an employee and, and colleague. So to be able to look after one, one another, I think, um, is really useful. Then there are, of course, other things that um, staff members could do on the management side. Um, mental health first aid training courses are becoming more popular. Again, kind of getting an understanding of signs and symptoms of colleagues. What, what does that comprise of? Um, again, uh, probably just general awareness of mm. of tuning into others and being able to gauge when there might be an issue and to be able to kind of ask opening um, questions that help open them up and make them feel more comfortable about the things that are upsetting them or concerning them, namely to give them a safe space and to give the the impression that it is okay to talk about. That in itself could be very, very healing and, and kind of a, a useful step. And then beyond that, there's sort of signposting to um, employee assistant programs and counseling, which actually personally, I do find a little bit outmoded. And the uptake is very, very small. Apparently, only two to 4% on average of EAP schemes are taken up by employees. So I think we need to be much more proactive in in hosting workshops, which I do. I deliver training and, and, and lunchtime talks in companies to talk about sign symptoms self-care, which Anna was very much, you know, espousing. Mm. Um, and then to be able to also have good access to good quality therapists um, on a one-to-one basis, as opposed to telephone counseling on an, an ad hoc occasional yeah. basis. So I'm a huge advocate of that. Do you think mental health conditions are starting to be taken more seriously in the workplace? The reason I'm asking is um, there was a recent study done by Mind and I think it was despite around half of all long-term sick leave in the UK being due to stress, depression, and anxiety, very few employees felt they could talk to their employers about their mental health condition. I do think the tide is changing and it's changing quite rapidly. And I would love to be able to see the stigma eliminated entirely. And I think the momentum is really gaining speed. And that, and that is excellent. There are a lot of very responsible employers, especially big banks, actually, like Santander, Lloyds Bank. It has come top down. In other words, it's often kind of senior management who have experienced breakdowns, mental health issues that have led them to kind of get an understanding that this is widespread. It not only affects them, it it affects everyone, generally speaking, or someone who knows someone. And therefore, something needs to be done proactively about it. So I do think that sentiment is changing and I'm so encouraged to see that. Definitely. And do you think from an employee's point of view, do you think we still have um, self-doubt about how legitimate mental health conditions are? Do you think that's what's holding us back, wanting to talk to our employers about it? Uh, I think also that is is starting to to shift. And thankfully, due to conversations such as this, where we're normalizing um, emotional health issues, as well as the the treatment for it, whether it's medication, whether it's therapy, whether it's self-help books, all of that is really contributing, I think, to greater um, openness and, 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 and being in touch and less, um, less ashamed 
shamed, yeah. um, which we shouldn't be at all. No. Because as Anna was saying, it's a sign of strength to seek support. And the moment that you do that, you'll see that it's not anything to have been worried about at all. Um, exactly. it's, it's, you know, extending that, that, um, d- desire to connect with someone who can in turn help you. And they usually feel good about themselves also, um, at, in helping. So it's kind of a, like a, a, a positive virtual, virtual cycle. And I think that, um, in- increasingly people are more comfortable in acknowledging the issues that they're going through, mm. talking about supporting one another. Um, again, I'm just really inspired to see this. Yeah. And unfortunately, there still is a little bit of um, stigma attached to mental health conditions. Um, Anna, why do you think that is? What is causing this? Why are people worried to talk about their mental health? I think because it's incredibly private. And I think we also are living in a bit of a hang up uh, and hangover, should I say, from previous generations that perhaps didn't understand mental health, that had perhaps um, uh, visualised it um, in, uh, in a slightly more scary way. I mean, I know that when I first sort of heard about mental health, the first thing I thought of was how the horror movies depict it, you know, a straitjacket in a horrible Victorian lunatic asylum, you know, it doesn't have a very, um, it doesn't have a very positive, um, message surrounding it or it hasn't traditionally so I think we're really playing catch up on that now and we're starting to learn and accept that actually mental health isn't a dirty word it isn't a scary word it's actually something we all have we all have mental health and any stigma that is attached to it I believe is something that we're still trying to fight against from previous generations and um, a general inability um, and lack of awareness in being able to talk about it for for it otherwise being seen as perhaps a weakness or something to be ashamed of or feel bad about. We know that that's the absolute opposite. It's complete nonsense. Mental health is just normal and it's common. And I really hope that when my son, who is now two, uh, is my age, I'm very old, um, that it's not, it's not even a thing anymore. We're not even having these conversations because we don't actually need to have them, if that makes sense. So I think that's really where we're heading. But any stigma that is still sort of attached to mental health is because I think we are just starting to see the wood through the trees from that. And the more we keep talking about it, the more we keep opening up, the better it will be at destigmatizing it. And Anna, do you have any um, practical tips for people to prevent work-related anxiety? I think my number one tip, I mean, I have loads, but I, I think my number one tip is communication. Funnily enough, I've just been talking to a friend of mine today who's on maternity leave and is a teacher and is already feeling that guilt. There's that big word we all feel often sometimes and that pressure to do with her work. And, and when pressed, I said to her, well, have you spoken to your boss? The answer was no. I said, okay, so here you are feeling these feelings and these thoughts and it gradually getting worse and waking you up at night. So let's do some communication. Talk to your boss, tell them how you're feeling and help them reassure you of your position. And that's what I always say to people. Talk to whoever you work with, your colleagues, let them know what's going on in your life because they aren't mind readers and we do need to help others help us. So I think first and foremost, be brave, be strong, look into whatever your work offers by way of support whether there's an HR department or an occupational health department, or at the very least, your boss or an understanding colleague. And that way you are shouldering and you are sharing what you're feeling. And sometimes it is okay to just say, do you know what? I need some help. More than okay. And I do it all the time now. It's, oh, there she goes again, asking for more help. But there is no shame in asking for help because you know what I say to people? 
if you ask for help, it's like a trickle effect. Suddenly everybody else seems to think that the permission has been given. Oh, it's okay to do that. I'm going to ask for help too. And that often is the case. It's, it's The minute one person goes, you know what, I'm going to stick my hand up on this one, everybody else feels reassured that they can do it too. And I think the more we all keep doing that, the more we realise that, you know what, it's cool. We're okay. If we've, we've all got this together. But that's the key. It's getting it together. No more loneliness and isolation in mental health because it's just not helping anybody. No. And um, Sherry, if someone is suffering, what are the practical steps to getting treated and seeking help? Well, I'm a, I'm a really uh, a big believer in proactive therapy. I think that everyone, if they have a, a therapist, a coach or a mentor lined up working on personal development goals, whatever they are, because we always, you know, all of us, I think, want to be a better, better human, better, better citizen, better spouse and colleague. So if you're, you, if you already have someone who you work with on a regular, consistent and one-to-one basis, who knows you well, I think that will often serve a person in really good stead when life's throws up the, the challenges that it that it does. And I think, you know, the the advantage of having that space is so different. It, it's so it's so useful and it's so different to kind of having more surface connections, which we 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 do on whether it's social media or our network of friends, having someone who we see reliably and dependably, let's say once a week or even once a month if it's a coach or or a, or a mentor, who you can check in on a regular basis. The other thing that I would absolutely love to see um, amongst the whole world Workforce in general are proactive mental health checkups, like an annual screening checkup, whether it's a half hour, hour, hour long chat with an in-house therapist or external, where they could debrief, talk about the things that they're, you know, going through and then dis- discover if they need further support there on in rather than, because it takes a lot for someone to kind of in, in a, in a, in a difficult place already to actively ask for help. And I'm suggesting that we offer help before it's really that even kind of needed. preventative care, Preventative, isn't it? very That's much. That's great. Thank you so much for um, joining me today, Anna and Terry. Thank you very much. Very interesting conversation. Thank you to Sherry and Anna for that insight into anxiety. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if anyone listening has any questions about the issues we've talked about, we'll put all the relevant contact information, including details for MIND, in the show notes. And if you fancy some further listening, check out our brother podcast, The Healthy for Men, Podumentary Series, Episode 1, What is Anxiety? 